Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Pinkham.com Norwich City podcast, where we promise we're not going to wallow too much in a 5-0 defeat at Manchester City on this grey Sunday morning, which is rather reflective of the mood of a, of a difficult start to the season for Norwich City, but we probably all knew it was going to be difficult, didn't we? It's Dave Freezer here alongside Paddy Davitt and Connor Southwell coming to you on the Pinkham YouTube channel as well as the Pinkham podcast audio feed. Boys, how are we doing? Connor first, uh, you, you are... You're drying off, aren't you? You just got caught in a rather heavy rain shower. <laughs> yeah, pathetic fallacy, I think. Um, yeah, I, I made sure I go out for a run this morning. I think after being sort of cooped up in, an, in a car for, what, nine and a half hours, as it turned out to be yesterday, it's good to get out and sort of move. And uh, yeah, got caught in a very heavy rainstorm that is uh, is outside about halfway around. So came in with uh, looking absolutely drenched, to be honest. So I had to, I had to dry off before we started recording this. So if anyone sees any sort of drips, of uh, of water coming off, then um, that that's that's the reason. I'm not just sort of profusely sweating or anything like that. Um, so yeah, not a great start to a Sunday. It's kind of followed the theme that we had yesterday, I think. Um, so I'm hoping that the day improves from here. To be honest, and Pad, we we had a bit of fun on the way home, didn't we? It was like, can this day get any worse? We we got to the ground a bit later than we'd have liked as well because of congestion, and then we're in the the petrol tanks nearly on empty. We find a petrol station, they haven't got any petrol. <laughs> Well, yeah, no one landed. And then what happened? Got in the car, went a bit further down the road. I won't name where we were, but it was proper hillbilly land. And, uh, and then they don't <laughs> take card payments. We're in 2021, aren't we? So luckily we had some old school cash. But uh, that did, that. Uh, yeah, as I jokingly said to Tony, our video guru, you know, you could see this day ending with something to push the car home, which would have uh, put a tin hat on it. But uh, thankfully we were spared that fate. Uh, we trooped very wearily back into uh, the fine city about midnight. So, uh, as I've said to my wife this morning, anybody tells you what we do is glamorous covering the Premier League and Man City away, no. So, uh, whether whether we have a receptive audience for that for that uh, that sentiment or not, probably not, because I'm sure lots of it would swap places with us. But uh, no, yeah, it was an entirely uh, forgettable day for a lot of reasons. But uh, you know. We we uh, as as Norwich and Daniel and the players they, they get another chance to go again, don't they, on Tuesday night? So uh, we'll, we'll 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 put a full stop on this weekend in the next hour or so, and then uh, yeah, let's look forward because uh, certainly things do need to change a little bit. I think it's safe to say in terms of the good ship Norwich. Yeah, cash, eh? I think I've had a tenner in my wallet since March, something like that. Just don't use it anymore. I mean, person because Carrow Road is a contactless stadium now, isn't it? They don't they don't take cash for for anything at the the stadium and at their shops and things like that. But um, anyway, yes, this is the podcast. We come to you as always in association with Future Radio one hundred seven point eight FM, and we're going to review the game. We're going to split the pod in two this week. We're going to part one. We're going to have a quick review of that game because we don't want to dwell on it too much, and then. Part two, we're going to really get this moving forward, talk about the Bournemouth game, talk about how Norwich do hit reset and shake off this worrying start to the season. Uh, there's a good little stat in the sun this morning. Um, it is the first time that Norwich have lost both games in the top flight since the 87-88 season. Uh, they lost 1-0 at Everton and 1-0 at home Southampton that year. Uh, they were coming off having finished fifth the season before and they ultimately finished 14th. So um, that's that's worth a little reminder, isn't it? That just because you have a bad start to the season, um, it doesn't mean that you're going to have a bad season. And of course, they have probably never had 
as tough a start to a season as Liverpool and Manchester City, who are just operating in a different stratosphere. Football is a very different game to how it was 35 years ago or whatever, wasn't it? Uh, but I did have a quick look back as well. Last time that they didn't score a goal in the first two matches was 2008 under Glenn Roder. Um, they lost 2-0 at Coventry, Pad, uh, your boys. And then uh, they lost 1-0 to MK Dons away as well in the League Cup. So uh, it's been a little while since uh, we've not seen a goal such early doors. But Pad, yeah, if I, if I bounce it back to you, 5-0. Um, we all knew it was going to be a difficult game. But I just think the, the biggest alarm bell really for people, the biggest concern is that Norwich haven't been able to show a bit of backbone, a bit of resilience, and they haven't really shown any hint of being able to shut up shop and, and stop a team from just overrunning them. You know, they were outclassed by what, a billion pounds worth of talent and literally some of the best, certainly players in the country and in Europe, but they just didn't show any resistance really, did they? Not in the final analysis, Dave, no. And, uh, and just to backtrack slightly, that billion pounds worth of talent excluded Kevin De Bruyne, Phil Foden, and Raheem Sterling starts on the bench with Riyad Mahrez. It's, well, it's football manager, it's uh, fantasy football, but it, it, it's a reality if you if you follow the Sky Blues in that part of the world. And and that's what Norwich are up against, not to that most marked of degrees every week in the Premier League, but, but pretty much every other opponent um, as, as a far richer resource to draw on. That's factual. We, we all know that. Every fan if a Norwich persuasion going into yesterday's game would have accepted that. But as you rightly say, it's it's thereafter Norwich are far too compliant and, and uh, you know, seven minutes, they're one down, 22 minutes, they're two down. That came after another goal, inverted commas, have been chalked off for a, a VAR pitch side monitor review uh, overturned. So if it had been, I said to you this before we started recording, if, if it's, Jack Grealish doing a Maradona and going past seven players and, uh, you know, putting Tim Krul on his backside and it's uh, a goal befitting a £100 million player, then you're holding your hands up, all goals, plural, then you just say, too good. You know, this is the Premier League. This is the elite. This is this is world-class football at its best. But it's not that, is it? Ultimately, you break the goals down and we'll get into it in more depth. It's balls inside left-backs. It's centre-backs not able to cut crosses out. Um, it's lack of concentration. And and all of those elements for me are within the gift of Daniel Farker and his coaches and those players to control. It's not, as I say, being put to the sword by hold your hands up type football. It's um, it's basic errors, really, um, and a lot of them. And we saw it again against Liverpool second half after you know a, a pretty pretty robust first forty five on the opening night, allied to the atmosphere and the home fans made it that way. But but still. The vulnerability was was evident in that second half spell, and and just continued where they left off for me against Man City, and and of course if you've got that level of talent, they will give it any invitation, and Norwich will were uh, were gift wrapping a lot of these invitations. They're going to punish you. So yes, we understand the unevenness of the level playing field, but but I think what what probably is irking lots of Norwich fans already at this stage, even though it is Liverpool and Manchester City is. There's elements that Norwich can control that they simply aren't. And Daniel was as frustrated as any. You know, you go back onto the pink and read his comments. He didn't try and hide or protect his players. He, um, you know, particularly with Yanulis, who he hooked at half time and brought Barley Mumber on. He was very strident in what that guy was 
detail to do and didn't do. And as a result, you know, Norwich, you, you go, you essentially go to Man City and you give them a two-goal head start, forget it. It's not going to happen. So so that that really game was was done and dusted in that first quarter of the game, essentially. Um, and until they they start to learn and, and, and understand that you can't knock off, you can't let a man run off the back of you, you can't give players of the quality of Jesus the time and space to bring balls down on their chest and put balls across your box. Um, you can't, if you're Grant Hanley, be defending two yards behind the rest of your defenders for the Raheem Sterling finish. You can't, if you're Ben Gibson, break out of the defensive line, trying to press into midfield and leave, leave a gap which Riyad Mahrez then cuts across perfectly timed run onto Diaz's pass to finish it for the fifth goal. These are fundamental errors that... Um, you know, need to be eradicated and eradicated quickly because if they're not, it's all right saying, well, we've got past Liverpool and Man City now, the season can start. But if they go into this weekend, we'll go past Bournemouth, if they go into Leicester at Carrow Road this Saturday with the same mindset individually and collectively, Leicester have good enough players to punish them. And we'll be talking again this time next week about weren't Leicester good, but didn't Norwich give them a helping hand? And it, it needs to stop and stop quickly. It does. I mean, that Gibson goal in particular, I, I actually think it's almost quite funny in the end when you look back in the replay. I was looking at it in the car when we started driving back, wasn't I? And if you were sort of a Gary Neville or a Jamie Carrigan, you had one of the fancy screens where you can draw on it. You can literally draw a big circle around Mares because Mumba tried to play offside. Gibson was trying to read the play and, and read it wrong, didn't he? He, he thought Diaz was going to fire a short pass into, I think it was Sterling in front of him. And literally you've got Mares is what? 75 million pound player or something isn't it? just in acres of space to pick his spot and then he curls it in off the post it was it did remind me of sadly the final day of 2019-20 when um when I was there and it was that horrible project restart period that was the 10th consecutive defeat for Norwich it wasn't already relegated the players just desperate for it to be over and Kevin De Bruyne curls in a lovely shot late in that game to make it five just a real really rub salt in the wounds but also, when we were in the car driving back, Connor, of course, we heard Gabby Agbonlahor, who sort of, he said a few uninformed things about Norwich as well. But the, the pertinent thing I thought was him talking about how if there was one game that a club like Man City wants for their first home game of the season, it's Norwich. Just basically saying it's an easy game. And yes, of course, the players, as they know and, and have already admitted, Lisa Malou and Hanley in the interviews after the game, they've got to do a lot better. They didn't do enough things right. But... I think I don't think Farker can escape this with, with criticism either. He matched them up four three three. There wasn't a defensive setup. There wasn't a um, weren't any sort of spiky, resilient comments really about how Norwich are going to go there and really try and thwart them. It just felt like they tried to play Man City at their own game too much for me. And that's the big thing I'm really feeling this morning on the back of you know a, a painful performance that we didn't enjoy witnessing is that. Norwich are just being too nice and, and teams aren't worried about facing them. Yeah, I, I think he, he, he gave the boxing analogy on Friday, didn't he, about how when you play Manchester City, you've you've got to, you've got to have a punch. I mean, if that was a boxing clash, you'd have thrown the towel in after probably 20 minutes. Um, it was it was relentless. It was wave after wave of attack. And Norwich just were, were so passive and, um, and and lacked real quality in, in their defensive work. I, I, when you think about teams that... 
are really resilient and really successful at this level at um, being quite as you know in Jurgen Klopp's terms annoying and you know we can put Burnley into that category we can put others in in that category they're, they're really good at their distances and, and when you play the top teams that compactness in your defensive shape is so important um, because you can't let them play through the lines you can't as Norwich did essentially concede the same goal four times which was um, a left back being pulled far too away from the, uh, far too um yeah, positionally um, was 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 way out from from their left side of centre back. Leave that big space so Jesus could go out to come back in again. A pass could be played between the two, and then there was a cross and someone would tap it in, and that was essentially the the goal that we saw four times. I think you've almost got to imagine it like the back four all holding on to the same bit of rope, and you have to work in a tandem to prevent those spaces from appearing. Because if Jesus gets the ball out wide, that's kind of where you want him. And then and then the next stage of that is to stop him getting to the byline to put in a low a low cross. Um, so. It, it was just very, yeah, it just wasn't good enough defensively. It lacked discipline. They were passive. Um, and yeah, for as much as, as Daniel said, they worked on that in the week. So clearly there, there have been, not on the evidence of, of what we saw yesterday, clearly not enough. Um, there, there are also elements, for example, there was, there was a goal kick routine where Cruel uh, would play out to Gilmore and then they'd try and look to play through the middle that way. And Man City fought with that after about two minutes and yet we saw it all afternoon. And it's it's that sort of um, inability to adapt to situations like that that will cost Norwich. And it's worth adding that we don't have the context of probably 10 games where Norwich have played teams that maybe they'd be expected to beat to put this into probably a bit more context but we've only got the evidence that we've got which is these two games and a very difficult project restart period recently um to kind of judge it in and, and, and Paddy's right if these themes continue and it's not something that you just click your fingers or sign a left back and a defensive midfielder and that solves all the issues it's it's a structural issue that Norwich City have defensively um that they need to be coached out of and, and that is the bit that's going to take time I think so it's almost the basics that were that were really concerning and, and and like you say there it's um it's just a lack of of of, of resilience a, a lack of defensive quality um, which if that persists all season, they're going to be too easy to play against. They're going to concede lots of goals and they're going to do that whilst not having a, a punch in attack, which they didn't have yesterday. I think it was, I think you highlighted something this morning that said four touches in the opposition penalty area. And, and that really came from Rashica's chance late on where it kind of felt like Man City almost toyed them into that position. So, yeah, it was it was a really disappointing afternoon. As, as Pad said, there are ways to lose football matches. Um, last week, we, we've spoken a lot for the last few weeks about mitigation in terms of pre-season. And I think you probably could have made the case last week that a few, certainly a couple of the goals conceded were, although poor defending, you, you could probably point towards fitness. That wasn't the case yesterday. It was, um, it was quality. It was basics. It was discipline. It was poor positional um, work from not, not just your new list and Mumba, but certainly, certainly crucially in, in, in the moments that mattered. So, yeah, it feels like they've got plenty of work to do and, and not much time to do it before, obviously, next Saturday. So, yeah, slight, slightly concerning, I think, um, given given how we, we were speaking about green shoots last week. Yeah, well, let's pretty much part the game there then and, and start looking forward because I don't think there's a great deal more to be learned from it, from what we've already said, because... We know it was basically a mismatch. Um, Norwich, there's all this context behind the disrupted preseason, a difficult start, but Man City were, were excellent. And as you mentioned, the stats there, I mean, they had 67% of possession, 11 shots at goal to Norwich's one, five of those were on target. They also had seven block shot, shots, Norwich had none. 718 passes to Norwich's 349. 
46 touches in the opposition box to Norwich's four. We could go on and on. There are loads of stats. They totally dominated it. They were far too good for Norwich. End of. There's no point us just wallowing that. There's no point in Norwich fans wallowing in it too much. It's done and dusted. And it's a shame that that ended up being the first game where it was a proper away day, 1,450 fans. And they, they made themselves heard in, as usual, a fairly flat atmosphere at the Etihad beyond, obviously, they had a lot of goals to celebrate and all the fireworks and, and stuff at the beginning. That It was it was good at the start, but the rest of it felt fairly routine for them. Um, the biggest disappointment of the weekend, really, though, Connor, is that you didn't get one of the edible coffee cups because you were desperate to do a review on the pod, weren't you? Oh, no, I was, I've got it, to be honest. That, that was, that was, I was hoping for a silver lining to grab one of those before we left. But yeah, there was, there was no sighting of them. Whether they kept them away from us deliberately or not, I'm not yeah. sure. They, they probably heard that we were going to review it on the pod and got maybe a little bit scared. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's their loss, really. The power of the Pink and Podcast. Um, okay, well, we'll yes, yeah, so we'll, we'll finish part one there. I just wanted to mention as well, um, it is also available in the Pink and Podcast audio feed. I spoke to Kevin Bond earlier in the week, uh, former Norwich player of the season, also played for Manchester City and his dad, of course, John, managed both clubs. So um, that was a, a nice sort of nostalgic look back. There was, a, there was a bit on the game, but not too much. It was more looking backwards. So if you haven't already had a listen to that, then, then please do um, seek that out. Welcome to the new normal. Hello, and welcome to this series of Unfinished with me, Charles Thompson. Welcome to Weird Norfolk. Welcome to this week's edition of the Pinkin.com Norwich City Podcast. From true crime to football, politics to folklore, for more great podcasts from Archant, head to audioboom.com forward slash channel forward slash Archant. Let's move it to part two, move it forward, start building towards Bournemouth and Leicester. How do Norwich hit reset? How do they start um, putting these two sort of nightmare games behind them? A goal difference of minus eight already. The Bournemouth match, I mean, they've had a pretty decent start to the season. Do you think that we will see widespread changes that all these players, your Jolis, Dowell, those types are all going to get their opportunity to put down a marker or, or do you suspect that, Farker being the way he is, he'll really want to use this as a as an opportunity to build on what he's already seen and, and get more minutes into those sort of players, that kind of thing. I think he'd have to tip towards the former and that's change it up quite considerably because if he didn't um, and just went with those guys again and then, you know, it was another laboured, listless sort of performance. We all know it's not about cup progress per se, but if if they pass up another opportunity at home against a lower level team uh, to get a, that first win on the board, then there'd be even more cr- criticism and questions, I think, directed at him. So, no, I think it makes far more sense to give those lads you've mentioned, particularly Jolis and, and Sargent, get them started, get them adapted and acclimatised a little bit to their teammates and playing at Car Road. And, um, and then what you're hoping then is they grasp the opportunity uh, along with a few others and uh, and give him... Uh, some selection calls for for Leicester because again mitigation you played two of the best teams in the world but I don't think there's too many in in the current lineup bearing in mind it was an unchanged eleven who are really sticking their hands up to say I should be in this team nailed on so I think there is opportunities now for some of those outfield players um, I'm sure Angus Gunn will get the nod instead of Tim Krull and and it's just for me about harnessing a bit of a bit of go forward momentum really into the Leicester game uh, and that's ideally going to be a winning progress to the next round, but also a positive performance. You know, you talked about a limited amount of attacking 
play they got on Saturday. They they need to start putting a few few more more focus for me on the top end of the pitch because they they look so um, anemic. You know the the goat is isolated. He looks like a man who hasn't had a preseason, um, and he needs a bit of help in terms of not only what he needs to do in his own game, but I think that the, the the structure around him um, and getting some more support up to him and as as we as we keep saying, it's very difficult to try and get to that level he needs to be when you're playing against some world-class defenders. But for me, it's no wholesale and and then try and, you know, try and almost definitively draw a line under what's gone before. You know, if they if they come out on Tuesday, they play well, uh, they get the win uh, and the new lads really catch the eye and, and make some headlines, then the mood starts to shift pr- pretty pretty quickly, I think. And then there would be, would be far more optimism going into Leicester than if, if it if it's more of the same for me, so how do you ensure that is the case from the off? Certainly, you you give those lads who you've brought in for a lot of money, all got big rep- reputations. Well, it's time to give them a go. And uh, you know, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. I, uh, there's one or two previous Farker seasons where I think um, you know he, he's used these early cup games. Max Aaron springs to mind immediately that Cardiff away game in the League Cup. Um, who, who came in, took his chance, never looked back, started the following league game. If my memory serves me, it was probably the Ipswich yeah. derby straight after. Um, albeit we're at Premier League level now, but the same principles apply. You know, there could be lads who play Tuesday night who really put their hand up and um, and then it's for Daniel to decide if they're ready to maybe have more of a leading role against, um, against Leicester. Irrespective, I think he'll make changes anyway for that Leicester game because you know, clearly Rupp, I don't think, has, has shown that he's at this stage got enough about him to, to, you know, speed of thought or deed really for me at Premier League level. So I'd fully expect him to come out for the Leicester game and there might be one or two other opportunities. Sargent plays hypothetically Tuesday night, plays well, scores a few goals. Then there'll be quite a compelling case case for him to start ahead of the goat, I think, against Leicester. So, you know, there's there's plenty of plenty on this Bournemouth game beyond merely uh, cup progress, I think, because... Uh, you know, as I say, given how bruising these first two games have been, that there does need to be a fairly swift watershed moment, and then we can look forward with a bit more optimism to the Leicester game, which you know is going to be very tough in its own right because Leicester are a, a very progressive side who've only just missed out in the Champions League in the last two years. So, you know, any idea? I think you referenced it yesterday, Dave. Any idea that the fixture list suddenly becomes uh, very, very favourable is 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 misguided and probably misunderstands what the Premier League is all about. Every, every game, really, for various reasons at this at this level for Norwich, with this current resource that they've got available, is is going to be very challenging. So, yeah, I don't think you can underestimate how big a game this Bournemouth one is, potentially, for, for a lot of reasons. Absolutely. As you've mentioned it there, I will just go through the fixtures because just to emphasise how important it is they get a foothold against Leicester before the September international break. When we come back, it's Arsenal away, Watford at home, which has always looked a huge game as soon as the fixtures came out, but even more so now, that is just looking such a a crucial, potentially pivotal game in in Norwich getting the season going. Then they go to Everton and Burnley. That doesn't sound at all easy, does it? Brighton at home. Uh, and then it's the October international break, which is followed by a trip to Chelsea. So that you can't look at the fixture list where Norwich are at the moment and think, oh, yeah, there's points there, there's points there. Until we see them get a foothold in things and start to look like they're capable of, of getting to grips with the Premier League standard, it's difficult to start looking ahead. Um, so we really do 
need them to be hitting reset and and almost seeing this as right they were the final two preseason games now we're ready now we're going to get our plan in place we're going to kick on from here but we shall see um Connor, I'll come to you on Brandon Williams in a minute because he's probably the big imponderable in, in this whole situation in, in terms of whether he does arrive in time for, for the game on Tuesday night. But just to look at Bournemouth's start to the season, um, they beat MK Dons 5-0 in the first round of the League Cup. Uh, they drew 2-2 at home with West Brom. Then they got two wins, 2-1 at Forest, 2-0 at Birmingham. And then on Saturday, they were held 2-2 to a draw by Blackpool. James Husband scored for Blackpool. Um, and is starting for them in the championship again. Um, so they they let a two goal lead slip basically. So they've they've had a pretty decent start under Parker, and you know they were in the playoffs last year. We, of course, we know it's not that long ago since they won three one at um, at Carrow Road. So there's not much between these two teams at the moment. I, I, in no way do I see this game as being a, a an easy League Cup tie. They may make changes, and there's probably going to be interesting elements of that because they signed Orion Nealand, who didn't play for Norwich, did he? But he, he's probably going to play his first game for them. Uh, they've signed Gary Cahill as well, who Norwich were, were interested in as a free agent, but he wanted to stay in the South. He didn't play on Saturday, so you just thought he's probably going to make his debut. And of course, Philip Billing was a player that Norwich are very keen on this this summer. So there's a few interesting strands to this. But yeah, let's let's kick off with, with Brandon Williams, Connor. And as we stand, I guess it's a bit difficult to predict um, whether he's going to come into things. But given what happened with Yanulis and Mumba on Saturday, if they can get up that over the line, it would seem a pretty sensible and positive thing to do to get him straight in. It, yeah, it would. It would. And I think if if yesterday um, served as anything, it was it was kind of a compelling reason as to why they need to to get that deal done probably as soon as possible. But there's probably an element of this that that Daniel Farker needs to manage quite carefully because um, to to kind of and he said he doesn't want to push it, punish him, or or, or embarrass him because of the performance yesterday. But I mean, we even spoke last week about there. There may be sort of red sirens going off for for Yunulis's defensive performance. I had that at Newcastle. I had it again against Liverpool. Even though there were probably more positive elements with his work, especially on the ball and um, and progressing the ball up the pitch. It, yesterday it was red sirens. It was someone screaming panic, um, and it was kind of every warning signal ever going off. It was um, it, it was pretty. It wasn't great, and um, that's it's not just a him issue. As, as we've spoken about, it was a wider issue as well, but. That one was was clearly highlighted more by the fact that he was he was subbed off after forty five minutes. So there will be times this season when Norwich probably will need him against teams that aren't as good as Manchester City, and and that's probably every other team in the league, to be frank. So yeah, you, I just think he's got to manage it carefully because you you risk by putting him straight in, which I think he he probably will do, providing they can they can get that over the line. You've also got to manage the Unudis situation to make sure that you've got a player there who is still willing to push the two options, who, are, who whoever they are in, in fullback areas. So it's um, it's going to be a really interesting one. But equally, he can't he can't hand out gifts. Um, and and if Brandon Williams comes in and showcases in training that he's a better option defensively and he strengthens the team, then he has to play. And it's as as simple as that. And that's why he gets paid um, a healthy amount of money to make those decisions. But there's going to be an element of of man management, as is the case with Mumba, probably on the other side as well about this situation. But I would be shocked if we if we got to well, A, if we got to Tuesday and, and, and Brandon Williams wasn't in the building, but B, if we got to Saturday and he wasn't in the starting lineup. So um, I think he probably will stick with Yanulis on Tuesday um, just to maybe give him a, a little bit of a confidence booster. But on Saturday, I would fully expect Brandon Williams to, to come in, to be honest. Um, although it wouldn't shock me if, if Williams was in the door 
soon enough to play on Tuesday if he played. So it's probably a wait and see on the on the Williams timeline. But um, but yeah, I think it's it's a situation he has to manage really carefully. To be honest. Okay, Connor, have a think about the team that you would play. Maybe jot it down if you want. Um, I've got my one, um, which I'll come back to in a minute. But Pad, just while we're on Brandon Williams and. Um, it looks like that is close and maybe even uh, gets done on Monday. What do you make of that as a signing? Because we, we saw him at Old Trafford um, in that 4-0 defeat for Norwich, didn't we? Um, and likewise, we're just over a week left of the transfer window. We've seen the name of Matthias Norman emerge, but we've, not, we've still not really seen Cahill as pertinent in that conversation. We've still not really seen a, another defender being linked, have we? So sort of the, the transfer latest, there's, there's still... A lot of the Norwich fans are waiting for, for that extra bit of information, isn't there? Yeah. Um, take our lead from what Daniel said on Friday that, you know, it's been a good window, but those areas you mapped out, he mapped out and said um, they need to fill those holes between now and, well, August the 31st, so not that long now, just under nine days or so, um, to make it, I think, um, you know, a, a great window or an exceptional window, which is open to interpretation at the minute on the evidence of the first two games. But clearly they... They have identified Williams. That will tick the left-sided box and um, and on him. Just but, uh, my own thoughts are very surprised given his breakthrough. I mean, he was excellent a couple of seasons ago. I think he played in the region about 30, 35 games um, for Solskjaer. And you thought this, this kid has uh, got got all the all the attributes you need. He was fearless, which is pertinent talking about you know a little bit of a rabbit in the headlights that, that was exhibited by certain players that the Etty had. Um, he he looked like um, he was born for those surroundings. You, you pull on a Manchester United shirt, you've got to have the personality and the temperament um, to handle that and all that goes with that. And uh, there was no sense there was he a very young lad plucked from the academy making his way. So what surprises me is subsequently that he's he's sort of deferred a little bit. Luke Shaw's obviously had a, clearly a renaissance for club and country and and, but Tellez as well seems to be ahead of him in the pecking order. And uh, just uh, not having observed his, what's happened in the intervening period that closely, I'm not sure why that would be the case, given he looked very, very, very precociously talented uh, two seasons ago. So if Norwich are getting that player, because obviously you, you're not playing for Man United unless you've got the ability, but it, but it's his temperament. And that might be something that Norwich, in terms of Weber and Farker, are looking at, that you know they need that personality. You know They need big characters in the changing room as much as on the pitch. And albeit he's a young man, but as I say, if you can hold your own with some of the characters in that United dressing room, then uh, you've got something about you. Um, you watch his game, the way he plays, he's a combative type. Um, you know, he doesn't give a, ask a quarter or, or give a quarter. He, he's tigerish in his defending. And, and I think he has attributes, which Norwich at this moment in time appear to lack. So I think that's a very astute piece of business. Um, and it just remains to be seen whether you know they now view him as the first choice left back, or whether there, there is there's, there's a fight to 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 unfold with him and Yunulis and Mumba, um, and also as well as versatility. Yes, he's come through at United as a left-sided player, but he can operate on the right. Um, and there might be scenarios where you know Max, for whatever reason, during the course of the season is unavailable. It's good given the Sam Barham situation um, to have that flexibility. So for me, it's a no-brainer. I, I don't. I don't see anybody disputing the merit of that deal, um, which will be done in the next 24 hours or so. And then the, the, the other lad you mentioned, yeah, Norman is a player that clearly they've, they've monitored for a period of time and um, whether what they saw again on Saturday is, is 
added to the urgency that they need to do something in that area of the pitch. Personally, for me, of the three remaining positions, that is the key position, I think, ultimately, um, because it unlocks, for me, the potential of Gilmore. Gilmore, in this side, the way it's set up now, you're not going to extract the maximum from him. And what we saw, albeit in small samples for Chelsea and then Scotland at the Euros, you know, he needs... Who's, who's he had whenever he's dropped into a Chelsea midfield? He's had Kante and Jorginho alongside him. Well, with the greatest respect, uh, I'm not asking for a Kante or Jorginho, but they do need somebody of that ilk around him to almost do the uh, do the hard yards and allow him to get on the ball and dictate and set the tempo. That's where he will add an extra dimension to this Norwich team. It's not chasing his tail, trying to close down players, trying to get the right side of Sadio Mane two weeks ago. Um, being put on the carousel with Lise Malou and Rock yesterday and Shuffling from side to side, trying to trying and failing to close the gaps in front of that back four. So it isn't just simply bringing in a Ollie Skip and Alex Tete in his prime. It's what that could do for Gilmore for me. So that's the key, and it remains to be seen if Norman is the player. If it's not him, it'll have to be somebody else because right now that is a glaring deficiency in this Norwich eleven. And uh, if they don't address it, you would you would seriously fear for them. And in terms of them making a competitive tilt at staying in the division. Central defence, just to finish there, yeah, Kale was one they looked at. I think that's indicative of they're still not going to be looking to make a splash and, and pull a, a £10 million player out. I think that, that ship has sailed now since Ayer, obviously, or Celtic more pertinently spurned their advances earlier in the summer. I think they would look now to free agents, loans, albeit, you know, if William comes in, that, that rules out the domestic loan route, but they could still do something overseas loan-wise. Um uh, and I think that's probably where they'd look to go, more of a one who could come in and supplement rather than we're going to spend whatever remaining budget we've got on an out-and-out, because I don't think those players are available. I think now the season's underway. You look around domestically, you know, there's a reason why they were looking at Gary and KL, because probably, you know, those other type of players aren't available to them. You know, the ones who could come, Joe Worrell's mentioned, obviously, but, you know, it looks like there's other clubs looking at him. Southampton, I see Hassan Hootall saying after... Or going into they're playing today later today against Manchester United. I think he's saying they will definitely do a centre back, and they've been linked with with Worrell. Um, so I think we'd be in a situation again where if Norwich are targeting those type of players, they're going to find there's probably Premier League competition that's going to be a little bit too hot in terms of the financials. So yeah, I think I'll be surprised if the centre back isn't sourced maybe from abroad and maybe in this sort of loan shorter term option. But there's no doubt about it. Um, Everything Daniel said on Friday in terms of what they need to do still uh, was only reinforced and underlined by what we didn't see as much as what we did see against Manchester City. So, yeah, it's going to be focus on the pitch in the remaining eight or nine days of the window with with two or three games to play in that period. But I think increasingly it's going to be now can Stuart Webber uh, and the recruitment team he's still got around him uh, do what they need to do to you know, plug some glaring holes, certainly in that defensive midfield area um, and on the evidence of yesterday, possibly at left-back as well. Yeah, they have until 11pm, Tuesday, August 31st. So we are very much moving into the end game on that front now. And it's interesting, another young lad coming in, though. You think about the average age has probably lowered quite a bit, hasn't it? If you, if Tete, Vrancic, Steeperman um, have all moved on. Hugo Hernandez don't really seem like they're part of the plans. And they've brought in Scholis, Sergeant, uh, well, Rashid, I suppose, is mid-20s. But now they're bringing in Williams. It was, 
I thought quite telling Grant Hanley said two or three times in his post-match interview, we need men, we need men, we need to show our steel, that kind of sort of tub thumping, typical sort of thing that you hear from an experienced pro when you're in this uh, after a 5-0 defeat. So um, it will be interesting to see if Williams brings a bit of a an elite mentality almost, like you say, if, if you're playing for Manchester United, that, that is a very different um, style to playing for Norwich City. Um, Connor, this will be interesting to see whether we've both come up with um, with the same team. Um, so I'm saying for the Bournemouth game to go back to a 4-2-3-1, gun or playing goal. I think we're, we're all pretty much in expe- expectation of that. Um, I've gone Mumba, Omabamadeli, uh, Gibson, and then for the moment I've said Brandon Williams at, at left back. Um, we shall see whether that is possible and over the line. I think Gibson will want another ninety minutes, you know, after a disrupted preseason. Whereas with Hanley, you just got to treat him a little bit with kid gloves, haven't you? Because he's uh, fresh back from an injury and didn't have a full preseason. I, I think he's probably at the point where he's going to benefit as much from from his time on the training ground. And then I'd keep Lisa Malou in. But play McLean because he needs to start um, as the two holders. Get I'd let Gilmore have a little breather on the bench, and then I'd play Sergeant on the right, Dowell as the ten, Shollis on the left, and Adam Eder up top, and then have a pretty strong bench. Not necessarily uh, bringing in kids and stuff. I, I think this is very much a game. Well, Lisa Malou said in his his interview that he really wants that first win to to start the season. So um, yeah, where where have you gone with it? Uh, I'm just trying to count up one, two, three. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I mean, we've got probably nine similar players. Maybe no, maybe eight. Actually, I'm not very good at maths or counting. Um, so, <laughs> so, I mean, the, the changes that that I've made really, I, I agree with you on the centre backs. I think it will be probably Gibson. I think we'll probably see Zimmerman. To be honest, maybe over um, Omobama Dele simply because he, he usually well, he did play on the left, didn't he? So, um, it wouldn't surprise me Zimbo. Someone sort of plays on the right. So see that working out but other than that a similar back four I think we might get a look at, at Jacob Sorensen as well because there's as we debated last week there's still a where does he fit into the, to the midfield mix and um, maybe Daniel's asking himself the same question so this could be a good opportunity for for him alongside um, uh, alongside Kenny McLean um, I, I'd probably go with Rashica again simply because I, I think against Liverpool we saw him run out of steam I, I don't think we saw too much of him against Manchester City given all the Covid stuff I think he probably want a, a few more minutes with with Dowell and, and, and Scholes as well and then I've I've gone for sort of Sargent as, as the man up front but as you've kind of mapped it out there I, I could see it being um, Sargent on, on one wing and then Adam Eder up front so I could quite plausibly see that situation but yeah so so to run through my team in full Gunn, Mumba, Gibson, Zimmerman, Williams, Sorensen, McLean, Rashica, Dowell, Scholes, Sargent is um, is what I've gone for so a lot of a lot of similarities I think between us both but yeah I, I think um kind of what pad said earlier about Farker heading in the direction of um of sort of wide scale change i think we'll we'll see that and i think we'll see a change in approach and change in shape as well because as we've as we kind of said again not to to dwell on manchester city too much but um you just want them to see or have a bit more of a goal threat to to kind of ease those concerns and and maybe a bit more of a balanced approach um a, a little bit between those that, that sort of defensive phases and, and attacking phases as well so um yeah that that kind of does that and also allows us to have a look at those players who who maybe haven't been given too many opportunities yet. Kieran Dow, for example, if, if he does get an opportunity, then that's a, a massive um, kind of chance for him to to prove not just why he should be included, but why Daniel Farker should change the shape for him to be included. So 
um, yeah, I think there's a lot of opportunities in there. Cholis as well is, is someone that I think there's a lot of excitement to watch and, and to see what he can bring. Um, and, and yeah, if, if we're going to talk about Sargent as a centre forward, then I just think we need to we need to see him um, up there on his own and, and what he can offer because there, there are a couple of bright moments um, in, in what was a, a pretty poor performance, as we kind of said yesterday. Um, he did look to inject some sort of forward for us that maybe they didn't have a bit of presence as well. So, uh, as Pat said earlier, if he can if he can get a goal or two on on Tuesday, then um, then that will just sort of make his his claim to start on Saturday stronger. So yeah, that's that's the eleven I would go with. I think you might have persuaded me on Rashitsa when you're talking there. To be honest, Sergeant up front and keep Rashitsa in just to keep a bit more continuity. So you'd still have Rashitsa Gilmore, uh, sorry Rashitsa Gibson and Lise Malou in there and. I think Mumba and Yanulis will be interesting. If Williams isn't available and one of them's got to play on the left, then obviously it's fine for Max to play. Max will play all day long, won't he? Probably play every day of the week if you let him. Um, but it's probably going to be a bit of a psychological assessment of where Yanulis is at after being hooked at half time, whether Mumba is, is in the right headspace after, you know, for sort of 15 minutes, he looked really bright, didn't he? And he looked like he was doing everything that Yanulis hadn't done. There was a few uh, good sort of forward movements and stuff. And then, it conceded basically the two uh, goals in similarly um, sort of culpable ways to, to Yanoulis. Um But yeah, Rashica did have the one shot, didn't he? Um, probably should have passed to Sargent, but <laughs> because Sargent had won the ball as well. But I just think it's going to be a really interesting game because this this is a helpful one, hopefully, for Daniel to to build. You know, if he's thinking, for instance, of playing three at the back against Leicester and he's thinking of making a proper change in formation, then... Tonight, uh, tomorrow night is Tuesday night. Sorry, <laughs> is the time to do it, isn't it? Is the time when you can really bet that in and start making those those plans against. As I say, it's not going to be an easy game against Bournemouth, even if they do make some changes. So, I just think it's really really interesting to see what happens on Tuesday night. Um, right, um, just to finish off the show, then we've got uh, just a few bits of news I wanted to get through. I'm sure you were all across this one, Pad, um, being a big fan of celebrity Hollywood news. Um, but two of the most famous men in the world, pretty much, were talking about Norwich City last week, weren't they? Hugh Jackman, Ryan Reynolds, big movie stars. We all know Hugh Jackman is sort of a, a kind of a Norwich fan because his, his mum lived in Norwich or something like that when he when he was a kid and he used to come over from Australia and things like that. Um, Ryan Reynolds, of course, has, has bought Wrexham and, and Hugh Jackman. They've got this weird sort of, it's like a fake beef. Is <laughs> it like how it's described? They, they've sort of got this fake rivalry, which they both keep stoking up all the time. And um, Ryan Reynolds just joked that he uh, he might buy Norwich, so uh, you'd be well up for that, Pad, wouldn't you? I'm sure you're a big fan of uh, of X Men. No, Dave. Sorry, you've come to the wrong <laughs> man. If you want any insight, I mean, I, I sit Hospital back. Pass. Yeah, the big style. You and Tony uh, jabber on about various films, uh, documentaries, whatever you watch. So I've pushed pushed that back in your direction. I, uh, I've heard of the names. I don't think I've probably watched too much with those guys, if I'm honest. If it's not got a football in, I don't really want to watch it, Dave, the truth be told. So, uh, yeah, but uh, no, I was, when you started on this front, I thought this was going to be a serious question about ownership, but obviously not. So let's, let's park it there, mate, and move on. Yeah, let's let's move on. But it's always nice to see Norwich making some uh, sort of high-profile headlines. And um, yeah, the uh, a couple of youngsters uh, wanted to talk about as well, Connor. And um, Rob Nizzet has gone out to Lecce, isn't he? So he's sort of one that they I guess, have admitted defeat with. He's not going to be the player to come in for them. Um, what, what did you make of that one? 
Um, yeah, pr- probably not surprising. I think we've, we've spoken a few times on here that there's some some hopes for uh, a, a few of the the, the left backs in younger groups. Uh, I want uh, last name Shipley. I want to say his first name's Lewis, but I might have plucked yeah. that from thin air. Um, is good. Um, it, it, being one, they've, they've got Sean Stewart as well, who's a, a Northern Ireland youth international. So I mean, they, they've probably got players that are that maybe they have higher hopes for that are younger. And, and as soon as that happens, um, probably the best example to consider this with is, is Akin Famewo. So as soon as Omar Bamadile steps up and, and kind of shows what he does on, on the first team level, then that kind of makes him redundant to a point. So, um, yeah, it's it's the harsh nature of academy football, isn't it? And and I'm sure Rob Nizit will have a very good career um, elsewhere because we we saw him in a, in a couple of the preseason games, and I've seen him perform uh, a few times. And there's certainly a lot of potential there to to mould. Um, it it just maybe hasn't quite fell right for him at, at Norwich with with different with different sort of situations and scenarios, and probably parts of his development as well that maybe he needs to go off and and, and do elsewhere. So um, yeah, not the most surprising, but. There's clearly there's clearly a talent there, and it's going to be interesting to see kind of where he goes and uh, and how his career sort of develops from here. I think, and a couple of loans pad as well. No, two more for Neil Adams to keep an eye on. Dan Adshead's gone out to Gillingham. He actually played yesterday as they they won. They I think they beat Morecambe two one. So a League One move for him. And Tyree Somatoy has gone to League Two this time to to Leighton Orient. So again, it's it's a narrative which we're getting used to every season. There's a lot of lone players to to keep an eye on, but those two both seem like they've got something about them. But that as ever with these loans, you really need to make a big impression, don't you? Absolutely, yeah. And the one that's, well, two that spring to mind and one's now very much in the first team and one was and has moved on for big money and that's Ben Godfrey and uh, and Todd Cantwell. You know, they benefit hugely from the right loans at the right times in their career and that's all you're trying to do with those two you mentioned, but the whole stable of lads who've now gone out of the building. Um, and it is an art, it is an art form and increasingly so and it's not just about if we're honest, developing players that are good enough for Norwich's first team, it's um, there's a bit of a, an economical aspect to this as well. You look at Soto, for example. There's a guy who, if 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 all the planets align, will will move on um, permanently to to Portugal. He's obviously got a Porto or Porto's B team initially, um, but there is a permanent deal in place. Same with Fameo and, and Charlton and uh, guys who. Certainly, Soto's case never got near the Norwich first team, and even and, and even for Maywo, a couple of a couple of times he was in and around the first team picture there. Um, but that, but ultimately, Norwich will will make profit on on those type of players if those type of deals go through. And uh, you know, it is it is as I say, a very very important strand of what Norwich are trying to do now as a club, um, and that's why you know you hope the current crop that go out. Maybe we're talking about one or two of them in 12, 18 months' time, as we have done uh, the Cantwell and Ben Godfrey, James Madison as well, sort of progression. Adhead's an interesting one. He's you know, he's gone into a decent level of football there, League One. So if he if he plays great, and of course that's where they plucked him from originally at Berry, and it's almost like maybe you look at it from the outside and think he's been treading water in the intervening period because he was playing at League One level. But if he went there and played a lot of minutes and and, and really showed what he was all about. And from what you were saying yesterday, Dave, they tried him in a more of a holding midfield, defensive midfield role. Well, as we sp- we've spoken liberally on this pod, that that is an area of Norwich's squad at first team level that they uh, they are desperate to find players to fit that that increasingly key position in the modern game. And if you can develop one of your own or, or one who you've plucked from, um, was it Rochdale? He was that originally, Rochdale, wasn't it? Yeah. Very, didn't I? Yeah, Rochdale. 
and and can fashion a player uh, to fill that hole, then uh, you know that could be a very astute piece of business. Um, putting him out on loan to to Gillingham, so yeah, watch with interest. I guess all those guys. But and, and final thing I'd say is they need to be grasping these opportunities. I mean, Omatoy went and had a little taste of it at Swindon last season, albeit a team who were fighting relegation. He didn't really play a huge amount, um, didn't score, I don't believe, and that probably wasn't the right loan for him um, when he came back to Norwich. So how many more opportunities these lads get at these clubs um, remains to be seen. But as we've talked just there about Rob Nizit, you know, the the, 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 scene, the scenery moves on very swiftly behind these players. And, and if they don't, Make the most of these opportunities. They, they they might find that you know they're entering a bit of a cul-de-sac when they get back to Norwich, and ultimately, you know, if they haven't shown enough in these loan spells away, then they're not really furthering their prospects of getting into Norwich's first team. Great stuff. And just finally, I did want to mention as well that uh, David Wright has left as the under twenty threes head coach. Um, he's got a first team role at MK Dons. Of course, Russell Martin recently moved on to to um Swansea and is it Liam Manning is that the right name um, Connor yeah for for um, he's the guy who's gone in as as head coach at MK Dons is actually from Norwich apparently and was involved with the Ipswich and West Ham academies for a long time and he's brought in David Wright as uh, his uh, assistant first team coach so um he was at Norwich for I think it was over 5 years in the end initially under 18s he was it was the youth cup quarter final in 2018 when Max Aarons and Adam Eder were part of that squad and uh, interviewed him a lot of times, always seemed a really nice guy and, and it always seemed like the players respected him because he'd had a proper EFL career, played a lot of games for for Crew, Ipswich, had that brief spell at, at Norwich, um, Palace. Uh, yeah, he had a proper career, didn't he? So um, similar move to Matt Gill in terms of stepping up from the under-23s to a first-team role, but not crossing the border, thankfully, to, to Ipswich, although he did play over 100 games for them. So who knows, he may end up there one day. But um, yeah, we'll, we shall see what that means for Norwich. Alan Nielsen was his assistant. He takes charge, uh, but also head of football development. Steve Weaver is going to be alongside him, as he is with Greg Crane uh, for the under-18s who had a bit of a nightmare on Saturday. Uh, they lost 10-0 at Aston Villa, but we won't go into that one. Uh, that will do for this week's pod. Thank you very much for listening, uh, whether you are listening on the audio feed or watching on the Pink and YouTube channel. Uh, thank you very much for watching. Please do remember to subscribe. And if you ever get uh, the time to uh, leave us a review or a rating, that's always very much appreciated. We'll have all the build-up to the Bournemouth game, of course, and then we'll be at Carrow Road on Tuesday night to bring you all the usual stuff, the live blog, reaction, analysis. Uh, we'll be across it all. So uh, we will catch up with you again on Tuesday night.